Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore, and tonight, myself and Chris McShane are joined by our old friend Mark Carrig, currently of The Athletic. And so without any further ado, take it away, Chris. Joining us this week on Amazing Avenue in Conversation is uh, somebody who's had a few conversations with us over the years. Uh, you know him from his time as a Mets beat writer. Uh, he left the Mets beat when he joined the Athletic uh, for the Yankees beat over the last year. And then the Athletic has since made him a national baseball writer. Uh, and based on his work, you know, and, and everything we've known about him in his time writing about the Mets, uh, there's really nobody more deserving of that. So without further further ado, uh, Mark Carrig, thanks for coming on with uh, Brian and me tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're sorry we couldn't get the green man here, but he is no longer a Amazing Avenue <laughs> official, so, you know, we have to make do without him. I can't believe it. Like, we're, we're like two seconds into what I think is going to be a lovely conversation. You bring up the green man. <laughs> Someday wow. we will get you guys in the same place in person. Dude, we, uh, hey, breaking, we have been in the same place. Yeah, we we were in the Royals press box. Uh, I want to say last year. Yeah. Did you guys like, talk? Uh, what, was it a meeting of the minds? Yeah, yeah. I was very underwhelmed, to be honest, <laughs> but uh, that's okay. Um, you know, like so. Yeah, it, we we did meet. We did talk. Um, no, it was cool. Actually, it turns out that Green Man lived like two towns over this whole time, which is hilarious. <laughs> Um, he's not actually green, which he says. Um, but yeah, we did meet. It was so random. Like, now she, I remember that now. It was like the most random afternoon ever because Johnny Damon happened to be at the park that day for something, and he you know, obviously played there. So I was sitting there writing, and then like Johnny called my name out as he was walking through a hallway because he saw a couple of guys that covered him with the Yankees back in the day. And then like a minute after that, Green Man comes walking up. So, yeah, it was like a very random afternoon in Kansas City. But we have met. Nice. We're going deep into I, the Amazing Avenue lore here. Oh, yeah. Johnny Damon <laughs> and the Green Man. That's, uh, oh, my God. It's yep. like a 50s band name. <laughs> uh, so, I, I guess for folks who aren't familiar, um, and if they're not familiar, we are off to a great start. But <laughs> for folks who aren't familiar, uh, you know, you've been writing about baseball for a decent amount of time now. Um, you know, how did you get into it? And, you know, what were the things that happened along the way that that were significant, you know, from starting uh, at Newsday to, you know, the, the point you're at now with The Athletic? Um, you know, what kind of big moments stood out in terms of getting to that point? Well, let's see. I, I kind of knew I wanted to cover baseball for a long time. And, but that's not necessarily something you can just go do. You've got to sort of work your way up to it and, you know, prove that you can be, you know, depended upon because when you're, when you're covering a baseball team for a newspaper, they're, spending a lot of money to send you on the road. They are putting their reputation on the line because they've got to trust you reporting. You've got to show that you can deal with people and deal with situations because again, 
everything that you do for the paper is representing them. So, you know, there's also that component that they're paying for you to travel with the team. Okay. And this is a massive investment. And I feel like so many times when, you know, the business gets talked about, that doesn't get discussed. And it's why you can't just pick someone, you know, out of a lineup and just throw them into a gig like this, because it seems like if you're at the newspaper, you're a news organization, there's a lot that you're pouring into it. And you've got to know that the person that you're pouring all of those resources into has proven and demonstrated over time that they're going to, you know, write a story every day, be able to come up with something every day and be able to develop relationships that lead to stories that only, you know, that person can get. So it's a lot. And so, you know, I, I spent a lot of time early in my career doing that, you know, and so you, and this is a long time ago now, so it doesn't quite work this way, like specifically, but the general idea holds, right? You're, you know, I started covering high school sports. The first job was answering phones in the sports department of my local paper and taking agate, which is the, the tiny little box scores, um, you know, for high school sports. So, you know, and then sort of it went from there. I covered college basketball and college football for a couple of years. Um, my editors at the time, I was working at the Washington Post then, they knew that I wanted to cover baseball. And so we had an opening come up, the Baltimore Orioles beat. That was in 2008. And an editor who had been really good to me there, Tracy Hamilton, asked me one day if I wanted to cover baseball. It, it, this sounded good to me, and I couldn't sign up faster. Because, like I said, it had always been sort of the goal. So... You know, it went from there, covered the Orioles and then actually moved up to New York to cover the Yankees for the Star-Ledger, which is based in Jersey. Um, I was there for five years and then Newsday gave me an opportunity to cover the Mets uh, late in 2012, Um, you know, and spent five years on the beat there and and had an awesome time doing it. And I think we've discussed this before. The, The... this fan base is fun to write for because they care so deeply about their team. And it felt like I had a mission every day that I went to work, that I was trying to serve those people. And and, uh, and I was lucky enough to have this badge around my neck that let me into the clubhouse. And I wanted to be people's eyes and ears. So um, it was wonderful. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then and then about the athletic when they started up and went back to the Yankees, which I'd covered before. And then here we are. So you asked like, what were all the big things? Like I would say all of that was big. Every stop prepared me for the next one. And I think every stop helped me get better and, you know, maybe brought out some parts of like my work that I needed to improve upon. And so the next stop was always that place where I did that. Um, and yeah, so I guess just getting experience and, and sort of earning trust and doing it a couple of times in baseball really helped me out. Like all of that stuff was good for me. Now, obviously, you know, being on the national scene is a great honor, and it means that you know people really care about what you're writing and that you're doing a good job. But do you ever feel like you do 
lose something on the national beat? You know, you mentioned the connection with the Mets fan base and how passionate they were. Do you find that writing for a more general audience means that you, I don't know how to put this, you know, how much does that change your job? How much is, is writing for the national audience more of writing generally versus the specificity that comes with writing for the beat? Yeah, it's, um, it's totally different. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that I miss about the beat. Um, you know, I guess we'll start with the beat itself. Like, first of all, man, it's hard. Okay. Like think about being away from your family. Like the, the players talk about this, but when you're covering a team and in New York, the people that are covering beats here, they pretty much do it the way they've done it for the last hundred years or whatever, you know, you, you travel and, and you, the team's away, you're away, right? There's seven weeks of spring training. You're there for almost all of it. Um, you know, when the home games, like that's when you kind of get your breaks, but you're still covering like 50 of the 81. Um, and then if your team makes the playoffs, there's, you know, another month basically where you have no idea when you're coming home. That's, that's a lot of work. And, it's a great job and you're not going to hear people whine about it really. I know people get a hard, give uh, some writing a hard time on Twitter when they do now and again, but you know, frankly, I don't think they complain about it as much as they could having lived that life. Like, and I know that most of them feel really lucky to be there. All right. I mean, it's a lot. So, you know, as much of a grind as it is though, there's something really special about it. And, and we talked about one of those things already. It, you do develop, a connection with the people that you're writing for. And I think it's great. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I think broadcasters have always had that, right? Gary Keith and Ron to Met fans, like you don't need last names. Like you already know who those people are. Howie is the same way. Um, you know, Wayne will be the same way. And he already gotten himself in there, um, you know, in the booth and, and made a name that way. Like, I mean, you know, Bob Murphy, like he, these are these people be, became a part of the experience, but I think in the last you know ten fifteen years or whatever it's been, with social media, the writers become part of that too, which I never saw coming. But in a, in a way, it's sort of that way now. You know, I realized kind of early on as a beat writer, and this is when the social media part of it started to take off. That hey, you know, like there are people watching this game and they got their phone out and they're curious about what you've got to say. And that's really not that all that different from broadcasters. So I feel like over time, being on a beat, you kind of get folded into that. And I certainly felt it with the Mets, for sure. It, again, because people pay attention to their team on that side of town, and they do it with passion. So, you know, I mean, look, Yankee fans do it too, and, and that was cool to, to experience that, but... I think being on a beat in general in this day and age when you're traveling around the team as much as you are and with social media, I think you do end up getting kind of lumped into the whole experience. So, um, yeah, being a national writer changes that. And I haven't even, you know, like I haven't been in the job that long and I'm still figuring things out. And, and frankly, like, you know, I, I wish I knew what I was doing more. You know, it's all new to me. But I do know that on the beat, um, you know, you do get comfortable uh, because you, you're around it all the time. And I think you end up feeling like you're part of like, the experience in a lot of ways because with social media, you know, your, your voice ends up becoming something that people pay attention to. 
and so in a way like that was an honor and i'll miss that um you know it, it became one of my favorite parts of being on the beat aside from like obviously the camaraderie too which i think kind of comes across on social media to some folks like you you see those other writers more than your own family for a large part of the year and it's really nice when you actually get along with those folks and for most of my time on the Mets beat like I can say for most of the people I was around every day I really got along with them so that made it fun and, and I think I'll miss that part of it as well because that's very different from the beat or for, from a national job so you know, but I think the biggest thing is I'll also miss having a clubhouse that I kind of like got to know well and that I was around and where they knew me and I knew them. And, you know, when you're around long enough, you're just part of the furniture. And I think that's where the best stories come out because you're seeing these things every day and you're seeing all the small things and, you know, you've, you've built relationships and, uh, you know, when you're a national writer, like you don't have that one room that you're in charge of kind of being around uh, as you are on the beat. So that's a huge difference. And, you know, honestly, still trying to learn how to do this job without that. But yeah, it's, it's very different. It's cool. It's exciting. I'm honored that they've given me a chance to do those things. Um, but yeah, there's really nothing quite the same as working a beat in baseball and, and really in any sport because baseball's access is so good that beat writing on baseball is, you know, kind of what journalism was back in the day when a lot of parts of it, you know, were, I think, the fun parts of the business. You know, being around all the time is fun and I think it leads to better stories. Yeah, I think... All, all of that definitely makes sense. Uh, and to your point on, you know, missing the beat and the familiarity you get and the camaraderie, uh, I think one of the pieces that you wrote that published fairly recently, uh, it comes to mind is, is like a good example of not just that it's good reporting and good writing and, and all of that, which it is, um, but the story about the belt that Major League Baseball was... Mm -hmm. You know, is handed out to teams for uh, you know minimizing salaries and arbitration. Uh, you know, each year, that story reads to me not that like if you had all of that that you couldn't have written it being on a beat, but it does seem like that's sort of like the liberating part. You know, the I don't have to squeeze this into you know how does this relate to the Mets? How does this relate to the Yankees? Um, you know, is does that seem in the early going like it's like that's the good side of the trade off that you can look at these macro issues and, you know, if nobody on the Mets says anything interesting, it doesn't matter because you can still get a story? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that there's a lot of great things about it. That's one of them. It's, I mean, it's so cool that I've got editors that are basically like, hey, if you're interested in that, go do it. And, and, you know, like that's more or less sort of what I'm doing. Um, and that's, it's incredible. I think as a reporter and, and someone who, you know, get, got into the business to tell stories, to have that mandate is really amazing. So, yeah, it's really like that's sort of the new job. It's, you know, I, 
instead of one room, you, you have a larger one, right? It's like an entire game, macro issues, as you said. Like, um, or if just something captures your curiosity or you're interested in something or somebody that you've got the freedom to go and you know, try to write a story about that person in your own way. So, um, no, it, that's been great. Um, honestly, the, the other thing is it's not even, it, the, this feels to me like less of a job change in a way and more of a life change in, in so many respects because when you're on the beat, as we talked about, you're traveling a lot. That's a lot of sacrifice, and that's what you do because that's the job. You're trying to do a good job. Um, but, you know, doing this role has allowed me to stay home a lot more and being home like it like the timing couldn't be better my daughter's 13 months old almost 14 months old now like it's been really cool to be around her i I remember last year i would go on the road and sometimes those road trips are like two weeks long and you know i some people out there know this right you've had young kids like one week when you're less than a year old is huge. Two weeks is like an eternity. So I remember coming back from trips and seeing my daughter and she'd do something and I'd be like, when did that start? Or she would just be noticeably bigger, you know? And you're just like, wow, like, I don't want to miss out on all of that. So I remember thinking to myself, boy, it would be nice at some point to be able to still cover baseball and try to do it well, but also do it in a way where, you know, maybe I don't have to be away from home as much. So I feel doubly lucky because this came about right you know, after the season and I've been having those thoughts. So like, that's kind of a cool part of this too, is not only do I get to sort of explore bigger issues that, and, and it, they don't have to be contained to New York, as you were saying earlier, but, I don't know. I think I get to do something I really love to do while also still trying to be, you know, home more, to be a good father and to be a good husband and, and to have some kind of balance, like, you know, which I think a lot of people are shooting for. So I think the biggest thing is that, like, I got really lucky and, you know, maybe this helps with some balance and that's great too. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So, you know, looking at the macro picture of baseball right now, what's exciting you right now? What's great about Major League Baseball as of mid-April 2019? What's something our listeners should be definitely keeping abreast of if they're maybe not as tuned into the larger game? 
You know what? Like, I, I just think the talent level overall, especially the young talent, is so off the charts good. But you can flip on a game any night, and it's not the Mets or whomever or the Yankees or whoever you root for. You know, Mets, obviously, on this podcast. But, like, you know, you, you can flip on pretty much every game and, and see somebody who's worth watching closely. And I think it's great. I mean, it, it's honestly that's been one of the cool parts of the change in the job too, is that uh, funny when you work for a newspaper and you cover a team, like a lot of times you don't get to watch as much baseball as you probably want to. There's just so much stuff going on. So many things you've got to keep tabs on so many calls to make and things to write that sometimes you end up just not watching as much baseball as you want to watch. So this has allowed me to watch a lot of baseball. And first of all, I forgot how much fun that is, honestly, because I like getting surprised. And, you know, like you, you see these players that you really don't get to watch all that much. And like, they'll do something on the field that surprises you. And you're just like, wow, that's pretty great. And, and, you know, there's just so many talented guys. I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, you, you, there's that commercial now with the guys in that press conference and it's a little cheesy, right? But like, I, I think it's a great attitude and idea to let the kids play because they're really that good. And I don't know, I think there's a, there was a few years back, there was a two years ago, and Noah Syndergaard pitching in the game. And he, he threw a 101 mile an hour fastball or something. And then hit a ball 425 feet for a homer in the same game. Remember that? Like, I mean, he oh, yeah. did it within like three innings. And I remember like thinking, uh, oh my God, like, like literally seeing things that have just never happened before. And I think what we're seeing in the game now is we've been talking all these years about analytics and metrics and how that informs how things get done. And I feel like we're starting to see a generation of players who have been developed with those things in mind, or at least helping to guide it. And, you know, I I think that's pretty exciting to me. Um, You know, you see these brand new ideas that years ago would have just been dismissed or ruled out. And they influence the game, whether it's the types of coaches that are coming into baseball or, you know, how players prepare or the resources that they use to get themselves to another level. It's not just working with the guys on the team, right? There's this whole infrastructure out there of smart people that have decided that it is a worthwhile cause to be better at baseball. And I think it's really cool to watch the product of that. Now, the style of it, right? Like I, I can, there's a good argument to, you know, with, the style of baseball kind of off-putting, being off-putting to some people, right? There's a lot of swings and misses, not enough action and all that stuff. But you know, I still think the talent level overwhelms all of those quibbles. So to me, the thing that is cool about baseball is just how many great young players there seems to be all over the place. And it's not even the usual suspects, right? Like it's, it's like some middle reliever that you didn't know very well or had barely heard of, and you watch him go out there and, and do something crazy. So, like, Reyes Moranta, or something, like, there are some of the Giants, like, guys like that, are like, holy cow, you know, didn't really know much about him, but here he is, like, 
you know, dealing and, and doing crazy things that, or the hitters look like they're overmatched sometimes. It's kind of remarkable that way. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I think fans have seen that whether they've watched their own team or, you know, watched a bunch of other teams on MLB TV or even if their involvement is through fantasy baseball, you know, with there's new names out there that are just doing things constantly uh, that, that jump off the page. And, yeah, it just makes for a very exciting time. And I think the conversation so often still gets kind of bogged down in, oh, analytics, you know, and doesn't focus enough on, like, wow, can you, can you believe what these guys are doing? You know, uh, Jeff Bagwell in his MVP season, you know, the strike shortened season 94, put up numbers. And not that tons of guys are matching that kind of hitting on a year in and year out basis, but there's like a bunch of guys in the game who can hit like that for a season or at least a few months. You know, that's that's crazy. Uh, and at the same time, you know, pitchers are better than ever and, and doing things. So. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a good time to be into baseball. And I think specific to the Mets, you know, sort of the old versus the new, um, you know, the things you've written recently have touched on that. Travis Darno, uh, you know, coming back, being sort of a, you know, the, the, the last, not the last player, but the last major leaguer, um, you know, who who came in under Alderson and really had his best years under him. Um, you know, Mickey Calloway being among the several managers who were new to the gig last year and, you know, how what that was like for all of them. And Brody Van Wagenen coming in. Uh, I don't know if he's still doing it, but it, it sounded like he was going to. Uh, but, you know, coming into this new job and deciding he's going to read the replies on Twitter, you know, <laughs> All of that, it, it, it's been sort of a fragmented changing of the guard with the Mets. Obviously, you know, uh, Omar Minaya comes back into the picture uh, as Alderson is sort of, you know, finishing up his tenure. Um, Van Wagenen comes in as the new GM a season after Callaway comes in. So I guess, you know, I, I know you weren't around them every day last year. Uh, and, you know, this role doesn't put you in the clubhouse in the way that you were there before. But from your perspective, you know, what does this Mets team feel like uh, right now? You know, I, I think, first of all, I think they're interesting. I think they're intriguing. I, I was having this conversation with a couple other writers the other day, and we were talking about, this idea of volatile teams where you know, in our, in our conversation, that would be that team where if they won 75 games or if they won 93, you'd be equally not surprised at either. Right. So we're thinking, all right, what teams are those? And the Mets were one of them, you know, I, and maybe people will disagree with that. And, and, you know, but, in my mind, it was like, huh, that actually makes sense. Like, you, you can see scenarios in which this team could be either of those things. 
And, but I, I think there's excitement that comes with that because especially at this time of year, I think most folks are still dreaming about the high side of things. And the high side of things for this team could be emerging from really an entertaining dogfight in the NL East. And so there's a cool energy over there right now. I think I've sensed it from the time that I've been in the clubhouses a little bit, like in the spring and so far this season, and just sort of talking to people that I still know over there and have for a while. Um, you know, there's something exciting going on. I think um, some changes sort of brought some of that feeling. But another thought I've heard a lot is, hey, let's just see what happens, right? Like, there's, I think it actually mirrors a, a lot of fans are kind of going through right now. You see Brody make all those moves. Uh, and some of them are splashy. Um, he's clearly different from, from Sandy. The feel is different. As you reference, you know, he's talking about reading content from Twitter. Like, he's been out there. Like, I mean, he's still been out there. He's on the field. He's in the, with the media. He's, you know, doing little things. Like, he, he, you know, being available and being out front, um, it's very different. But I think there's also a sense of like, all right, let's see how that plays. You know, like what happens? How does he behave right when, you know, the Mets hit a tough skid? Are you as available then? You know, are you out front then? Are you still reading the comments if things go south and, and there's, a, there's a rough patch? So, yeah, I think my sense over there is there's a little bit of that, okay, let's see how this goes sort of a cautious optimism to it, jury still out sort of thing. And frankly, I feel like that's not that much different from what the fans are seeing right now. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the fans are sort of in the same place too. I think yeah. that sounds about right. Yeah. I, yeah, me too. You know, was, uh, over the winter, um, you know, the fact that they just weren't in on Harper and Machado, uh, you know, and even now Keiko and Kimbrell, you know, there's that aspect to it that was it probably dragged me down more than any other mm-hmm. winter coming into a season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now that they're on the field and playing games uh, and looking like they can hang in this division, you know, it's super early. Everybody's even except for the Marlins coming into tonight. You know, it's there's enough. You know, I think it's very easy to go through a winter and either be excited or frustrated, or somewhere in between. And then they go take the field in actual games that count, and you shift over to, all right, these are the guys, and if I'm rooting for one team in a sport, this is the whole concept. Like, these are uh-huh. these are the dudes uh, on, on this baseball team, you know. I'm pulling for them, because, you know, that's, that's where we all end up once the season's underway, uh-huh. so... Yeah, I won't be shocked if they win the division. I won't be shocked if they finish fourth. And, I, you know, I think that's been a, a pretty common take around this team and this division. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's, and there's an excitement to that because it's not crazy to see the upside of that, right? And, and again, I think whenever something's a little bit different, there's just naturally more intrigue in it. I mean, Brody's done a bunch of little things where it's, like, very clear that that organization is in a different place and, and is being managed by somebody different. Not totally. Right? They're owned by the same people and they will be for a long time. But 
you know, there, I think there's clearly a footprint that Brody's got there. That's that's obvious. I, I mean, here's one like this total little rando thing that from the other day. I I, I came to recover the the first game against the Twins, and I'm going to go grab game notes in the press box, and there's like three boxes of Dunkin' Donuts sitting there. And I huh. figured out maybe that's like some you know, Ryder brought it in. But I would noticed it on opening day, too. But again, like in spring training, there was someone at SNY, really good dude, would just do that for the press room. Well, anyway, I figured that was probably him again, which is unusual because, again, that was a spring thing. I saw Brody in the clubhouse after that first game against Minnesota. He was walking by and he's kind of, you know, he's saying something to one of the writers, but there's a group of us there. And he's like, hey, by the way, you guys get the uh, first game of the series donuts? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Ah. You know, first game of the series, nice. I'll bring them up there for you guys. So, it's like, that's like a totally small, random thing. But I also think it's sort of telling in, in that, you know, I think having known Brody a little bit as an agent as well, he's obviously somebody who's good with people. Um, you know, I wrote a story a few years back where I went, went out with, with Cespedes to go golfing. Brody was there, you know, golfing too. And I remember thinking to myself then, like, you know, I can see why this guy is an agent. He's great with people. He was comfortable with all kinds of different conversations from different perspectives. Like, it was an interesting thing to see. So it's, it's interesting to see that translating to his time as a GM now, whether that's just dealing one-on-one with him or even something like bringing donuts for the press box to start the new series. I thought that was interesting. I, I didn't know if he was joking or not, but I have noticed him there you know, twice now. Again, opening day in the first game of the Twins series. So I guess we'll see how long that lasts too, especially when the coverage turns if the team doesn't do so well. wonder if the donuts keep coming in July. <laughs> Uh, before we let you go, is there one player on the Mets this year, uh, a young player, a new player, or even a returning player that you think is going to have just a phenomenal year this year outside of Jacob DeGrom? Well, I'm just going to go and take the obvious easy answer and say your first baseman, right? I mean, Pete, a lot like when I went to go cover the Yankees last year, and I had been away, obviously, for the five years of the Mets. I remember being just blown away by how much power Aaron Judge had. You know, like, you don't need stat cast to see it. Just, I mean, watching him take a round of BP, and, you know, he's just got power. And it's obvious why he's enormous. But he's also, you know, worked very hard to make good contact and be a good hitter and all those things. Uh, Pete Alonso hitting that ball out in center field at Marlins Park was jaw-dropping. And, you know, I think obviously people do hit for power. Um, but seeing him do it, you know, in spring, I, I, you know, watch him hit in spring, like, you, you know, you've seen him in the cage. But then I remember watching that Marlon game on TV, right? And then I'm, I now I've, I've watched a couple of games at City Field where he's you know, done his thing. It's, it's like, wow, that's in the same class as Aaron Judge in damn near. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, and he's not as big, obviously, but like he's certainly got the pop. So that's eye-opening, you know, like this guy has just got 
insane crazy power which people knew but i feel like when you start to see it translate when you're facing actual pitchers and lights are on well that's a whole different thing altogether and we've seen that so uh that is awfully impressive so i'll take the easy answer and say pete alonzo hey there's nothing wrong with that uh <laughs> so yeah at this point, uh, we're, we're going to let you go. Enjoy uh, your time being at home. But uh, to everybody who's listening, I think most of you are probably already following on Twitter, but it's at Mark Carrig, M-A-R-C-C-A-R-I-G, for anybody who's uh, who's not familiar with or, or you know, mastered uh, the spelling. But, uh, but yeah, so check Mark out on Twitter. He's at The Athletic. Uh, we, you know, then really, I think we can speak on behalf of a lot of the listeners and certainly the uh, the folks who write for the site. You know, congrats again on the promotion there, and you know, there there's uh, the, there's quite a few names there who people have seen, you know, in a lot of outlets for a long time, who are doing, you know, who are your peers now at that uh, at this point. So, yeah. It's it's cool to see. So we're we're happy. And uh, Brian, any anything else? I was just gonna say we do miss you on the Mets beat, though. So yeah, <laughs> you know, don't forget about well, us, little folks. I, I, now that you're a big shot. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, first of all, like no big shot stuff there because I don't know what I'm doing. And second of all, you know, man, I I can't believe I'm saying this for the record, but I do miss Matt's Twitter a little bit. I do. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> It was fun. It was fun. And, um, you know, like I said, it is an honor to write for a fan base that cares very passionately about its team. It was very hard not to respect that. And, you know, it was a, a ton of fun. And, you know, in this gig, like, I get to write about the Mets again, so that's cool. You know, not like it was back in the day, but, you know, I do look forward to being around there a little bit more. And, um, you know, if you'd let this one in here too, I'll see Green Man in Hell. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Green Man. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue in Conversation. Thank you for joining us. Make sure to follow Mark on Twitter and read his work at The Athletic. He is truly one of the best baseball writers working today. You can find lots more Mets content at AmazingAvenue.com. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 
at Amazing Avenue. Subscribe to this show and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, your podcatcher of choice, and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Those things really do help. You can follow Chris and myself on Twitter. Chris is at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets. Thank you.